This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Back to recording a podcast in a quiet surrounding with a dog laying at my feet and a lot of normalcy for this week's episode of the show. <laughs> it's a marked change from last week. A lot of calm normalcy. There's no uh, there's no crazy like vendors coming through your yeah. your uh, apartment today. There's no so. weird, um, terrible, uh, bizarre covers of American pop songs playing over the over the background uh, audio for the show. It's really good. It's all very good. <laughs> this is a very professional really? podcast that in we do reality, week in yeah. and We yeah. sound like we sound like people who attempt to be knowing what we're doing. Something like that. Um, so, hey, with that, uh, we say hi and we welcome you into this week's episode of the show before the show from MILB.com. We're talking all things minor league baseball this week. My name is Tyler Vaughn. Sam Dykstra is in New York City. Hello, Sam. How are you? Hello, Tyler. It is it is good to have you back on American soil um, after if anybody doesn't know, we list we talked about this before. But like you had a heck of a couple weeks working your butt off. Uh, on behalf of really international baseball on the whole, yeah. Uh, between the Premier Twelve tournament, both in Mexico and in Japan, now you're back in Denver. Um, but just kind of reflect on that journey. What was that like watching? You know, so many teams fight for Olympic spots. Some of them falling short before they even made it to Japan. Team USA fell short in Japan uh, in that bronze medal game against Mexico, which was a heck of a game in itself. But uh, yeah, what, what was it just like watching that and being part of it as a broadcaster? It was pretty amazing, man. It was uh, you know Sunday night. I'm sitting there broadcasting a game next to uh, to JP Morosi of MLB Network and uh, Alex Cohen, uh, who came on as one of our additional broadcasters for this tournament, who's the radio voice of the Iowa cubs at the triple a level and you know we're just sitting there and it was like every half inning at the inning break we would take off our headsets and just talk to each other about the the atmosphere there were forty five thousand people there um japanese baseball much like you know korean baseball and taiwanese baseball and baseball in latin america um it is a party it is they take america's most boring sport and make it into the coolest quote unquote most boring sport as the uh as the hot takers would have you think uh and they turn it into a fan experience like you would never imagine it's uh it's really pretty indescribable the uh samurai japan is the name of the national team there and the the fans of that team in the offensive half innings they sing or chant or do dances or do cheers for every single player they're all specific to that player um they are definitely loud they have horns they have drums they have noisemakers uh it is incredible and doing games in front of forty-five thousand people uh with the vast majority of them taking part in that was just you know i tweeted out that night uh when i was in college i was i was fortunate enough to do a college football game i went to the university of nebraska we had a game uh, against missouri in which nebraska clinched the big 12 north this is how long ago that was we were back in the big 12 still uh, but there are eighty-five thousand people there and i remember thinking to myself at 21 years old like i wonder when or if i'll ever get to a point in my broadcasting life where i do something that rivals this atmosphere and being in the tokyo dome on sunday for that championship game between korea and japan was like nothing i've ever experienced uh certainly in my broadcast life but even just in my in my baseball life um and yeah i mean there were a ton of really interesting teams, intriguing rosters, uh, some really fascinating runs through the tournament. Uh, the United States fell to Mexico in the opening round, so ended up being the second place team coming out of Group A, moving on to the quote unquote super round, and then on to uh, Championship Sunday. They played in the bronze medal game, and the way that the tournament worked was the top finisher from Asia and the second place finisher from asia if the top finisher was japan that team would move on to the olympics and the top team from the americas region would move on to the olympics uh and the united states and mexico ended up squaring off head to head for an olympic berth in the bronze medal game uh they go to the bottom of the ninth mexico trailing two to one ends up tying it they go to the 10th the u.s blows the international tiebreaker opportunity similar to the minor league tiebreaker opportunity uh starting with runners at first and second in the top of the 10th the u.s got nothing and you kind of signed your own death warrant in that circumstance of you 
are unable to get at least one run in that first and second nobody out situation. So Mexico goes to the bottom of the 10th. Uh, a, just a, a crazy atmosphere. Um, Efren Navarro, a, a former 50th round draft pick uh, back in the start of his professional career uh, who has been playing in Asia the last couple of years, has been playing in Japan. He ends up walking it off and winning it uh, for Mexico and just a, an unbelievable game. The U.S. team, I think, has to be extremely disappointed with how it showed over there, especially uh, in the Super Round and beyond. The offense just never really came alive. They pitched relatively well, but just not a, an offensive threat, which is so strange when you look at that roster going in. Um, but it uh, it just never materialized. They played well, uh, especially on the offensive side in Mexico, hit a ton of home runs to the first three days of the tournament, but then went pretty quiet in, uh, in Tokyo. And so now for USA Baseball fans, that team has – two more chances to qualify for the Olympics. It's a very drawn-out Olympic qualification process for uh, baseball going back in the Olympics next July and August. There will be an America's qualifier in Arizona coming up in March, uh, which will feature a handful of teams uh, that were just announced this week. If the United States does not win that qualifier, they will get one more opportunity, provided that they finish second or third in that qualifier. They'll get one more opportunity in a final global qualifying event, which will be in Taiwan the first week in April. Um, But even though there are still chances left, very difficult to build a roster for USA Baseball at that stage. They are not allowed to use 40-man players, uh, and it's going to be the start of the minor league season, so the availability of players is going to be somewhat in question as well. So their best opportunity was really to win that game against Mexico last Sunday, uh, and it didn't come through for them. So as of right now, four teams are in the six-team field for the Olympics next year. Japan is the host country, uh, Israel, which won the Europe and Africa qualifier back in September, and then Korea, which uh, came out as the second place finishers in Premier 12, but the top finishers out of the Asia and Oceania region that were not Japan, uh, and Mexico coming out of the Americas. So two more spots remain to be filled. One will come from that Americas qualifier. One will come from the global qualifier that follows. Um, but it was it was a ton of fun, man, and um, being involved in, in this stuff is the coolest thing that has ever happened to me in my career, and going over to do games at the Tokyo Dome, like... Like it just, I, don't, I can't even, I can't even describe it. It was, it literally <laughs> felt like I was just walking around in a dream for a week. It was insane. I mean, they have made movies about people walking around in Tokyo, making it feel like a dream. That's, yeah, basically, yeah. Uh, which pretty much, you know, I was, uh, I was very Bill Murray and lost in translation because I slept horribly the entire week, uh, which has led to a lot of great sleep getting back home to my own bed, which has been fun. But uh, yeah, it's, it's one of those things where I also, for those of you who are familiar, I broadcast uh, for the University of Denver Pioneers. Uh, I do hockey and basketball for them. We've got a basketball road trip. We leave tomorrow. So on, uh, on Saturday, Saturday, I'll be doing a game, a college basketball game at UC Riverside uh, six days after I was doing a game in front of 45,000 people at the Tokyo Dome. So that's going to be quite quite a weird juxtaposition. But, uh, hey, man, we get paid to, to write and to talk about sports, and there's really not anything cooler than that in life. So, um pretty fun and uh jp morosi i jp morosi i got to work with in mexico he was my color guy in mexico my color guy for a handful of games uh in in japan could not be what you think jp morosi is when you follow him on social media you see him on mlb network he is like that and somehow even better than that he is just a consummate professional the ultimate gentleman the friendliest dude on earth uh he's awesome if you're a jp morosi fan i'm here to tell you it is a million percent justified in all of your jp morosi fandom uh we also ryan roland smith who people may remember as a, a reliever in the big leagues and a starter in the big leagues but with the mariners and with the d-backs and with others uh ryan came over as well He's now a member of the Mariners uh, studio team and sometimes the broadcast booth as well. Ryan, the same way, just the coolest guy you can meet, friendliest, extraordinarily talented, really, really good in the booth. Um, but he's only been at it really for a year, a little bit over a year, and just so hungry to learn and get better at being a broadcaster, which I really admire. Um, so we got to work with some great guys, Alex Cohen, as well as I mentioned, the, the radio voice of the, the Iowa Cubs, who was fantastic to work with on the championship game, and uh, a couple other former minor league guys, uh, Andrew Reynolds, who is now with the Australian baseball league and craig durham as well i've done so many of these wbsc tournaments with Uh, we had a really great crew over there and um i went viral for a tweet about fried chicken it's weird weird. (laughs) i had a tweet about japanese convenience store fried chicken that led like a few days later to that convenience stores like pr people contacting me to thank to thank me for tweeting about how good their fried chicken well i don't i don't you darvish retweeted it somehow i don't get it i don't get the internet man the, the internet works in very, very strange ways. It's just <laughs> weird and mysterious ways. Yeah. It doesn't make any sense. 
But hey, so uh, baseball now is kind of over for 2019. It's really not. I mean, we've got winter leagues going on. The Australian Baseball League just started up yesterday. Uh, but it's, uh, yeah, there's, it's, we're kind of, actually, it's technically today, I guess, in Australia that the uh, the ABL started. It started on Thursday. But, uh, yeah, we're sort of into the dead period, which, well, not a whole lot of fun. Yeah, but, like, think about what we're about to talk about here in strike one. Like, the the season may be over, but it, it's crazy how things picked up in terms of roster news. And, yeah. um, you know, we, we're not going to talk about it here, but, like, today's the day when Yasmani Grandal signed with the White Sox. Yeah. Uh, free agency is picking up earlier so far. The Braves are making relief signings. Uh, the idea that things are just going to cool down hasn't shown its head so far in 2019, which is very, uh, very welcome after some some cold stoves to start the years in the past. But, uh, yeah, no matter what, November 20th is always going to be a big day in uh, major and minor league baseball. Let's get started on three strikes for this week's episode of the show before the show where we discuss all things minor league baseball uh this is a big week for top prospects and other prospects around the game in which uh, 40-man roster decisions had to be made and coming up here in just a little bit we will hear from one of those guys who uh had his 40-man roster status upgraded and confirmed ben bramer who's the 15th ranked prospect in the washington nationals organization added to his team's 40-man roster these decisions that we'll discuss on strike one uh protect players from the rule five draft so if you are in that sweet spot of your pro career where you are entering rule five draft eligibility and you have to be protected on the 40-man roster this is a big time for some of those guys a lot of top prospects were added to 40-man squads around major league and minor league baseball uh on big league 40-man rosters now some of the top talents in the game sam give us a rundown of who really stood out to you for strike one yeah let's just talk about first what the sweet spot is for this because i think Every year we get tweets about, well, why wasn't Adley Rutschman protected? And, uh, right. Because he wasn't eligible. That's not how this works. Um, so eligibility is at its very basis terms, and then there's some ways we can get around this. But if you signed or were drafted when you were 18 or younger and you have been in pro ball for five seasons – uh, you are Rule 5 eligible. If you signed or were drafted when you were 19 or older and have been in – minor league baseball for four seasons uh you are rule five eligible so this year it was pretty much guys college guys from the 2016 draft or before uh or high schoolers or international signees uh from the 2015 season or before that's kind of very loosely and again so there's some chances sometimes guys get signed after the dsl season whatever uh but that just to set up the basis there that those are guys who had to be on 40-man rosters before Wednesday uh, in order to be protected from the Rule 5 draft. Top 100 guys, everybody went protected. So that's Christian Pache, Sixto Sanchez, Brian Hayes, Vidal Brujan, Jazz Chisholm, O'Neill Cruz, Davey Garcia, Ryan Mountcastle, Tristan McKenzie, Esteban Floreal, Miguel Amaya, Andres Jimenez, and Edward Cabrera. No drama there. No drama was really expected. Um, even if these guys aren't major league ready, you're still going to protect them. I, I'm looking at somebody like Miguel Amaya, uh, played all year at Class A Advanced Myrtle Beach, but has the future of a uh, major league catcher. You're not going to let him sit there because it's very easy for some of these non-competitive teams next year to swoop in, keep them on the major league roster for the full year, and then, hey, you've got a top 100 talent basically stowed away on what's going to be a 26-man roster for 2020. Um, so top 100 guys all went protected. Um, some of the other storylines that I was kind of keeping an eye on as things went on, you mentioned Ben Bramer uh, with the Washington Nationals. The Nationals actually had 10 open 40-man spots. They only protected Bramer, which was the one guy. We'll talk to him about that, about why that was special for him. Um, but that's notable because, you know, obviously the Nationals – Steven Strasburg is a free agent right now. Anthony Rendon is a free agent right now. Howie Kendrick is a free agent right now. Gerardo Parra just signed it uh, overseas. So they have a lot of openings. They're probably going to try to fill those with major league spots. But it, it was really interesting to me to see that they had, I think, seven top 30 prospects eligible for this year's draft. They only protect one of them. Tells you what you, they think of Bramer for sure. Um, but that was really interesting for anybody who was following me on Twitter. I was saying throughout the day, you know, as long as they're protected before 8 p.m., it doesn't matter when they announce. So if they announce a name early, they can still announce names later. I thought they were going to protect more. They ended up not doing that. Uh, the Seattle Mariners and San Francisco Giants didn't protect anybody 
They didn't make any moves, uh, which is really fascinating. Um, not necessarily for the groups of prospects that they had. I thought the Seattle Mariners may have protected LJ Newsom, a uh, guy with incredible control, really had a breakout 2019, climbed three levels, can really pinpoint uh, where he's going to throw the ball. His stuff isn't the best in the world. They probably didn't think a major league team was going to bet on that, but maybe they will. And we'll get into that in strike two. Uh, Giants, I didn't quite see it. There was Garrett Williams, a left-handed pitcher who had pitched a double A, but has some serious control problems. Not a not a big surprise there. Uh, the team I think we should have all been talking about the most uh, was the New York Yankees. They protected all six of their top 30 prospects, but it was going to take some 40-man gymnastics to make that happen. Uh, those six prospects being Davey Garcia, Esteban Floreal, who we already mentioned, Luis Gill, Nick Nelson, Luis Medina, and Miguel Yajure. Um An interesting mix of stuff and results there. Uh, Gill and Medina have... Two of the best fastballs in that system, and there's a lot of velocity in the Yankee system right now. Yohei was very, very good last year, wherever he went. Uh, and Nelson also put up some good numbers. I think he reached double A. Uh, but they added, ended up releasing Jacoby Ellsbury. They're going to pay him, I think it's something like $26 million, essentially. Quite a bit of money. Yeah, just to get him off the roster completely because they believe in these six guys. And they also added Brooks Kiskeg, or Chris K. So there were seven guys they added. They also DFA'd Greg Bird, who at one point was going to be the first baseman of the future for the Yankees, has had some serious foot injuries the last couple of years. He's found it difficult to stay off. He's moving off at some point. We'll find out where he's going to go. I don't think he's going to take an assignment somewhere. I think he's going to either be picked up on waivers or uh, – you know, signed with another club. Um, but the Yankees were willing to make those moves with, at times, established major league talent because they believe in these really young pitchers uh, specifically. Uh, you know, And you throw on Floreal, who I know has had his own contact rate issues and has only reached double-A for the playoffs a couple of years ago. Um, but they still believe in him. A lot of people still believe in him. He just needs to figure out that contact rate. Uh, so seeing the Yankees protect... All six of their ranked prospects was really, really interesting to me. Um, you know, check out, we have a table that we, it was a running table, now it's completed. Every prospect ranked among the top 30 by MLB.com uh, that was protected on the 40 man. We have them there with some notes along there. Um, you know, if you're worried about, hey, did my team not protect its top 100 talent, it's probably for a good reason. Uh, but in terms of individual pockets of who protected who, I think th those are the standouts. The Yankees getting all those guys in, um, the the Giants and Mariners choosing not to protect anybody, and the Nats choosing only to protect one when they had so much space. And the flip side of that is strike two. The guys who stood out most to you who were not protected yesterday. Yeah, so we'll get into this more as the Rule 5 draft comes up, and this is going to require a little bit more research and, and diving deeper into it. Um, but, you know, going back to the Washington Nationals, I thought it was pretty well established that they were going to protect Sterling Sharp, uh, their number 11 prospect. Sharp had kind of a diff difficult season. He was number 13 prospect. Excuse me, I read my notes wrong. Uh he had a little bit of a difficult season. He missed extended time with an oblique injury, uh, reached as high as double-A, actually had a very good Arizona Fall League. We've had him on the podcast before. He's a very athletic guy. We talked to him about playing in the dunk contest. What stands out to me about Sharp is that he is one of the elite ground ball getters, I guess you want to call it, whatever, ground ball pitchers in minor league baseball. Um you know, in today's game in which so many hitters are taught, hey, get the ball in the air, elevate as much as you can, he gets them to drive it down straight into the ground pretty consistently. I think that would have some value. And again, he, his strikeout numbers were there in the AFL. Uh, I know AFL stats aren't everything, but the fact that he came off the oblique injury and showed the stuff the way he did uh, was really promising. I thought he would have been protected as a guy who played a lot of the year at double A. That ended up not being the case. So I'll be interested to see if anybody bites on him. And then you kind of have to pocket it in terms of who wasn't protected and for what reason. Um, you know, there are pockets of guys who we've always thought of as talented and either are coming off rough years or are too far away. I'm thinking about like Shervian Newton of the New York Mets organization. He played at Class A Columbia this year. Uh, Mets basically banking on teams thinking like, hey, we can't s store this young uh, infielder. We can't just jump him from Class A straight to the majors and keep him on the roster for a full year. It's happened before. 
Uh, don't get me wrong, but it's more difficult to do that, uh, you know, if they're coming at it from a low spot and especially coming off kind of a rough year for him. Luis Oviedo in the Cleveland Indian system uh, was at one point one of the top arms for the Indians. He had a rough year at Class A Lake County. I think the stuff is still there. I think a lot of people still believe in the stuff, but the Indians are banking on teams saying like, okay, we can't carry Oviedo. Uh, for a full season, even when rosters expand to 26 men next year. Uh, and then there's some other – Wander Javier is kind of, I think, the perfect example of this. Um, there was a time when Twins prospects – and if you get into any type of prospect chat with Twins fans, they'll always bring up Wander Javier. He was supposed to be Royce Lewis before Royce Lewis is who he is now. Uh had a really rough year, had some injuries that knocked him out for basically all of 2018. Did not return especially well. You know, if you want to bank on the talent still being there, maybe somebody t- jumps at him and, and get a better look. Uh, given what his prospect status was two years ago, you would never think he would have been in this position. But he really, really struggled this year with Cedar Rapids. Uh, I find it difficult to think somebody's going to take him, but he it might be the biggest name that was left unprotected. Um, Alec Hansen at one point with the Chicago White Sox was one of the top – Pitching prospects in all of baseball was striking everybody out left and right. He's dealt with some health issues the last couple of years and has not been the same pitcher since. He's moved to the bullpen at times this year, has really struggled with his control, can't find the strike zone. When he does, the stuff is there, um, but it, it's going to take a serious bet that he can actually throw strikes consistently. I don't see that happening yet. Uh, that's why the White Sox left him unprotected. Maybe a team who, you know, re- has an empty bullpen spot and says, hey, we're going to be the ones to fix Alec Hansen. We've found something we can fix. There's a potential jump there. Uh, and then there's some of the guys who are at the upper levels who are really good performers, um, but you know they might not be great prospects. They might not have the tools. But from my view, kind of look major league ready. Uh, Roberto Ramos from the Colorado Rockies system is that guy. I think he was the number 30 prospect. He's ranked very low, but in terms of raw power, it's always there for him. Uh, maybe he finds a spot in an AL organization willing to take him on in the draft. They can DH him uh, because defense is a bit of a struggle for him, but we'll have to keep an eye on that. Uh, well, Zach Brown, formerly of this podcast, he's been on this show before, was the top pitching prospect in the Milwaukee Brewers system, really struggled at AAA this year, uh, but was still there and he's pitching you know, in the PCL, which is really difficult. The Brewers apparently didn't see enough. Maybe another team will, maybe they can make him into a reliever or something like that. Uh, but somebody who had made it to AAA with some decent stuff, those usually are a sign that you will get protected. Zach Brown does not. Um, so yeah, it's an interesting mix. We'll, we'll continue to put this together, uh, as the, as rule five comes up and, you know, we can dive a little bit deeper into this. The first round is just who gets protected. That's all I'm focused on now. It's okay. Who kind of fits certain scenarios, who, which teams could potentially make multiple picks that's happened before the Orioles did it last year. San Diego Padres famously took three guys a couple of years ago. Uh, it's certainly possible. Um, but yeah, we'll, we'll have more on the rule five draft, the closer we get to the winter meetings and strike three this week, we continue our postseason award recognition, Milby's and all the rest, uh, really no surprise here for strike three farm system of the year. I believe every single one of our ballots named the Tampa Bay Rays as the farm system of the year, because the Rays have an obscene amount of talent. It seems like pretty much everybody in that system was really good this year. Uh, not, not a real big surprise here. Yeah, no, not at all. Um, like you said, it, it was unanimous amongst MILB.com voting staff. Going through this, I mean, when you put together the resume of the Rays this year, uh, it, you know, it's second to none. Obviously, we named it Best Farm System of the Year. But it, this isn't necessarily like our farm system rankings, which are coming out in a couple months. We do that every offseason, although the Rays will definitely rank highly in that. Uh, this was more about what kind of year did you have as, as an organization at the minor league levels? Uh, how did your teams perform? How did your prospects perform? What level of prospects do you have? Uh, did teams make the playoffs? What was your collective winning percentage? And every time we did that and we put the race through that rubric, they consistently ranked at the top or near the top. Uh, their top five affiliates, the AAA Durham Bulls, the AA Montgomery Biscuits, Class A Advanced Charlotte Stone Crabs, Class A Bowling Green Hot Rods, and Class A Short Season Hudson Valley 
uh, Renegades all made the playoffs. That's crazy. Uh, collectively, their winning percentage was the best. That's not a huge surprise, but when you talk about multiple teams, the fact that the Rays affiliates won 58.1% of their games in 2019 is incredible. You look at the prospect talent, I think they have six top 100 prospects right now, which is tied for the most in baseball. Um, and, you know, that's Wander Franco, Brendan McKay, Vidal Ruhan, who we've already mentioned, Matthew Libertor, Brent Honeywell, and Shane Baz. Ronaldo Hernandez was a top 100 prospect at one point. He's number seven. Greg Jones was their first pick this year. He's at number eight. Shane McClanahan uh, was a top pick. He was 31st overall in 2018. He's number nine. J.J. Goss was the 36th overall pick in 2019. He's number 10. I mean, these are guys who would be leading other systems, and they're in the back half of the top 10 for the Rays. And, oh, by the way, I mentioned him in passing, but Wander Franco – the consensus number one overall prospect in the game is in this system. Uh, the Rays, the last couple of years, they, they tinker pretty well at the major league level, try to figure out how guys can you know, work in their system. They are usually credited with the team that developed the opener. Um, but the, the reason why they're so successful is they get this talent in and they know how to develop it. They know how to turn these guys into major leaguers and how to make their tools work at the top level and at every level going up. Uh, it's really impressive to see and it's, it's impressive to, you know, that it is so top to bottom, their success. Uh, I, I do want to point out one thing though. Uh, Mitch Lukovics, who's been on this podcast before, is one of the all-time great quotes in minor league baseball. The guy's been around forever. Uh, he was the Rays director of minor league operations. He's moving elsewhere in, in the front office. That director of minor league operations job is going to Jeff McLaren. Before he left for that, he talked to our Josh Jackson about it. He gave this quote that I really like. Uh, when you talk about having the number one farm system, you're talking about 100 people, 200 people besides the players. I don't know, but it's a total organization success. It goes from the ownership to the clubbies that are instrumental in what we do. It sounds corny, but I've been in this. This is my 45th year. I firmly believe in this. This is how it's done. So it's not just taking your top prospects and making sure they're fondled and you know, making sure they're comfortable and doing everything they need to do. It's taking you know the the Wander Francos all the way down to guys at the bottom levels and even clubbies and, and other people involved in these organizations and making sure they're able to do their best work. That's how you turn out a winning organization. Um, you know, the Rays historically are not going to be a team that's going to spend at the major league level, but they're going to get here because of an organizational philosophy. They're going to compete in the playoffs and make it as far as they do uh, because they have this philosophy from top to bottom. It's really impressive to see. Check out Josh's story for more from Mitch Lukovics about how they make this system work and how they've turned out what was really, uh, really, really impressive 2019. But yeah, when we were making our votes for this, there was only really one farm system we could all vote for, and that was the Tampa Bay Rays. And that is three strikes for this week's episode of the show before the show. Coming up, we're going to the Washington Nationals organization where Ben Bramer awaits to talk about his uh, status as one of the newest members of a big league roster across baseball. Ben Bramer joins the show next. Well, big week uh, this week for prospects all around the world of baseball as the 40-man deadline arrived. And joining us on this week's episode of the show before the show is the 15th-ranked prospect in the Washington Nationals organization, Ben Bramer, who got some great news about uh, his roster status this week. Ben, what's going on, man? How are you? Hey, I'm great. Really appreciate y'all having me on. Um, you know, I'm excited about yesterday and the news that I was fortunate to receive. And um, it's just a really exciting time for me and my family right now, so. Well, take us through that process. You're added to the 40-man roster, protected from the Rule 5 draft, uh, and obviously it's so much more than just that. I mean, those are kind of the the practicalities of it, but what it says about how how an organization views you, uh, where you are in your career has got to be really, really exciting. Last year you make it up to AAA. Um, Take us through kind of the process of how you found out about that yesterday and maybe some of the the anxiety of going into yesterday and then getting that news, and I would imagine the, the relief and the excitement that comes along with it. Yeah, no doubt. It was um, – I was sweating it for a while. Um, I figured I had a, a decent shot of, of that happening. Um, you know, I hadn't heard anything definitive, so I was – you know, I was just waiting on a phone call, so to say. Um, very thankful I got that phone call. But, um, 
yeah, no, I, it's a huge honor for me. And, you know, I'm very humbled that they think enough of me to add me to the roster. And, you know, especially with them coming off of a World Series um, championship, I think that's huge. And, um, you know, as a competitor, I think, at least through my eyes, that you play the game to win. And, um, you know, there's a lot of things that go into that. And the fact that they think that, you know, I'm close to helping them do so is extremely humbling. And I'm very excited about it and thankful for the opportunity and, uh, you know, I guess now the the work just continues to go on and increases from here. So, when you are in a, a spot where you know you're in an off season, you're kind of working on next year, uh, but something like this is still looming. I mean, obviously, it's not going to change your preparation or your your workouts or anything like that. But having that in the back of your mind all off season, um, what what is that like? There's not a whole lot of other businesses that can really relate to that. Of oh well, these people don't make this decision about my status. There's a chance of somebody to just come pluck me along uh, coming up next month. I mean, what's that? What's that whole process like? Kind of wading through the, I would imagine the agony of of some of that. Uh, to be honest with you, I really didn't start to think about it much until the last few days, probably like the last week or so. Um, you know, I've always, uh, I guess, kind of had a, a gift to block things out, so to say, and um, really just focus on things that I could control. And that's really what I tried to do And uh, leading up to this and throughout the off season and throughout last season as well. And um, it's something I, I kind of try and live by. And so that was able to I was able to help myself out by doing that and just kind of trying to block out any noise that may come along with with the impending uh, decisions and whatnot. So um, that was beneficial for me. But yeah, it's uh, it's pretty crazy to think about how it all works. You know, like friends and family back home ask, you know, hey, what does this mean? How's this How's this uh, go on? Proceed? Whatever. And it's honestly kind of tough to explain. You know, I. I, I Googled a, a link to figure out like a little cheat sheet on how to explain <laughs> it. And that's kind of just what I would send them. Because <laughs> there's a lot of details, as y'all know. And, um, you know, I really didn't fully understand it all until probably a couple of years ago. And I had a couple of friends go through it. So. Yeah, that, that actually, you know, dovetails kind of nicely into what my question was going to be is logistically, what does this change about things for you? I mean, there, there's things we could tick off, you know, you, there's no more invitation to spring training. You are a pitcher that goes to the major league side of spring training to start. Uh, you know, there's bump and pay, there's union stuff involved. But for your focus, when you hear that, you know, when you got that phone call yesterday, uh, logistically, what do you see happening next or what does this do for your career? Um, I think it, you know, it obviously puts me in a great position to hopefully contribute to the national success sooner than later. Um, I fully, obviously fully believe in myself and my ability to do that as a, as a player on the field and as a guy in the clubhouse. And, you know, every day that I train here in the off season and that's something that I'm working towards. And that's something that's driving me to be the best that I can be not only for, you know, me and my family, but for those guys as well, because every, every single one of those guys deserves it. Um, family deserves it. And, you know, that's something that's going to fuel me and propel me to, to doing so. And, um, you know, just from what I think it could bring me is just obviously, you know, with the things that you just mentioned as far as, you know, being part of the union now and, um, you know, all the pay stuff that goes along with that and whatnot and, uh, I think that's a great position for me to be in. It's for anybody to be in, and um, it's something we all work towards. And uh, I'm just, you know, very thankful to be in that position. Mm. And let's get into a little bit about what allowed you to get into this position in terms of your 2019 season. Uh, you were coming off a strong 2018. You were co-nationals pitcher of the year for the minor leagues. You start out the year at Harrisburg, some really nice numbers there, 2.51 ERA in 79 innings, a 0.97 whip. Uh, you move up to AAA Fresno. Things got a little hairy from there. A lot, happened to a lot of people at AAA this year, obviously, and, and especially in the PCL uh, with a 7.2 ERA there. But how do you feel like you grew the most you know, going back from spring training to this point now that kind of forced the Nationals' hand to add you to that 40-man roster? Uh, you know, something I kind of touched on earlier was uh, controlling things that you can control, you know. I, I think that 
focusing on that's way more important than setting individual or um, you know like individual statistical goals, at least in my opinion. And I think that whenever I got moved up to Fresno, it's you know there's a lot of factors that go into that league out there that can uh, that can I guess derail an outing for a pitcher, so to say. And sometimes it can be very tough to block out you know the, those things and to I guess flush them you know over the course of an outing and after it happens and you know I think whenever I first got up there I struggled with that for a little bit because it was uh you know it's pretty defeating and you're facing better competition and whatnot and more experienced competition for sure and uh I think once I was able to get over that hump mentally and get back to what has allowed me to reach this point which is just you know focus on the things that I have control over you know how am I gonna react to things that happen how is my attitude my work ethic all that type of stuff um and whenever I was able to you know to kind of take a step back and realize that that's what I needed to get back to even even in the course within the course of the outing um I think that's when I was able to to get more comfortable and um finish the year out strong I think my last month of the season I thought that I had improved a lot and grown a lot and it started the show and you know, by the end of the season, I really wish that I had, you know, another month or two to keep pitching because obviously I knew my stats weren't good. So I wanted to continue to prove myself um, in that league and against that co- level of competition. So I guess, you know, the Nationals realized that and um, felt confident in my ability to do so and continue to do so and improve. Ben, out of college, um, you go first to LSU Eunice, then you transfer to Auburn. You're an 18th round pick in 2016. Um, and one thing that you've shown throughout your career at the collegiate level and at the professional level is you can kind of pitch in a bunch of different roles. I know that one season at Auburn, I think you only made four starts out of 21 appearances. Um, you've pitched a little bit in relief right. as, a, as a professional, but obviously really good success as a starter. You made 26 appearances this year. All those were starts. Do you have a preference? I mean, there are so many different things that come along with each of those roles. Do you have a preference on which you like or which you feel like you're better with? And are you in a dog fight right now? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my dogs are running around outside. Growling. Sorry about that. No, no. <laughs> this is a dog-friendly podcast. Yeah, it's a very uh, dog-safe space. We're, we're big fans. That's that's funny. They're Rhodesian Ridgebacks, so they get oh, awesome. they go crazy after each other sometimes. <laughs> oh my gosh, that's funny. Um, no, I really don't have a preference, to be honest with you. I kind of really enjoyed bouncing back and forth between starting and relieving in 2018. I thought that it was a real big challenge for me mentally and physically because there's, you know, there's different aspects to both. As a starter, you have a five-day – you're on a five-man rotation, so you have you know, four days to figure out what you need to do, figure out what works best for you. Are you a bullpen on day two or day three guy? And you know, what kind of arm care do you need to do? what's your weight program going to be like, so on and so forth. And then out of the bullpen, you kind of just have to, you, you kind of just have to uh, base your routine off of how things go. In my opinion, like if you pitch one inning and you throw 14 pitches, you're probably going to be hot the next day, especially at the upper levels of the minors. Um, and sometimes you might not be able to fit something in that you normally would want to and kind of just got to roll with the punches. So I thought that challenged me in 2018 and, um, I, was, I was thankful for it because I was able to test some things out early on and figure out what worked best for me. And, and then this year, being my first year starting full-time, uh, I was pleased I was able to make all my starts this year and uh, grow throughout that process and learn uh, different things to implement. You know, uh, one of the things I was most thankful for was being teammates with a lot of guys that had been around the game for a while and had a lot of success at the highest levels. Um, you know, I think back to Harrisburg and Aaron Barrett comes up, Spencer Keyboom, um, Dan Jennings. You know, a lot of guys that had ha- have had a lot of success. And, you know, for those guys to mentor us younger guys throughout this process and throughout the course of the season was helpful. And, um, and then whenever I got to Fresno, being around – you know, Hoover and Copeland and Matt Reynolds and Snyder and CeCe and all those guys, they were very, very helpful for, for I know me and the other guys, the younger guys on the team and um, being able to just pick their brains on things and 
and figure out, you know, what they see in a pitcher or what a pitcher sees in a hitter was super helpful for me because that's something I hadn't really dived into before. And I realized then that I needed to be more cognizant of, you know, scouting reports and picking up on tendencies and stuff like that. So, um, and as far as like, you know, like I said, I don't really don't have a preference as far as the role goes. I, I think, you know, as long as I'm on the mound, healthy and competing, that's really all I can ask for. Whatever the Nationals think, you know, whatever role they think I can help the team best in is what I'll do. And that's, I'll never have a problem with that. And, and when you are moving between starting and relieving, um, you know, there are kind of two separate paths you're going to have to take. Sometimes as a reliever, you can be a two pitch guy. As a starter, you basically need to have at least three pitches. Uh, you have a fastball, a curveball, right. and changeup. How do you feel like those developed this year? Uh, most scouting reports say your curveball is the best of those three, but in terms of the whole package, how do you feel like your arsenal, uh, you know, took a step forward in 2019? I think early on, um, I was doing a really good job of commanding my fastball in to both uh, left and right-handed hitters. Um, I think towards the end of the season, I got a little fatigued and my fastball command faltered. Um, and whenever that happened, I felt like my changeup actually carried me the rest of the way. Um, and then my curveball has always been my best pitch or my put-away pitch. And, um, you know, it's not going to be – it's best ver- the best version of itself every time. So whenever the curveball is not biting like it should, then the changeup becomes that much more important. And, you know, sometimes the changeup's not going to be there for you and curveball might be nasty, but you're not able to spot it like you need to. So that's when fastball command is going to be even that much more important. And I think this year I experienced a lot of that, um, especially coming off of a long year in 2018. Um, I felt, I felt at times that I might've just been overthinking a couple things with my pitch grips and stuff like that, just cause I had been throwing nonstop for, you know, pretty much two years and things were starting to run together a little bit at the end. Um, but you know, I think it's very important to, you know, mix things up. And I thought that especially in AAA, towards the end, I was able to do a much better job of that. And, um, I was actually really pleased with the development, continued development of my changeup towards the end of this past season. So, you know, heading into next year, it's going to be continued emphasis on that and, you know, spotting the fastball and curveball as well. Mm. And when you mentioned that changeup, I feel like that is the pitch that, you know, if you develop that, you, you have a much better chance of sticking at a starter. What did you do at the end of the year to develop that, and what what are you going to kind of carry into next spring to continue to round out that specific pitch? So, last year and for like the first part of this year, I was kind of throwing a like a hybrid two seam. It was like a pretty much a two seam changeup, and I thought I had success with it, but it looked totally different than my fastball because I only throw a four seam, and. Whenever I got to AAA, um, our pitching coach, Brad, started to tinker with the grip a little bit just, you know, because he was able to notice that um, the spin was just a little different, you know, and some of the hitters were able to see that as well. And so he gave me this true four-seam change-up grip, and it was definitely a little weird at first. You just have to grip it and, you know, trust it whenever you release it. But I think that once he showed me that grip, that it was – uh, that proved to be a big difference for me and the success of that pitch and the continued development of it. And, um, you know, like I said earlier, whenever I started to get fatigued at the end of the year and fell behind in some counts, that changeup really was huge for me. So, Ben, you are now a member of a World Series champion organization, which is uh, something that I think a lot of Nationals fans uh, probably never imagined they would hear after uh, some of the the postseason heartbreak in years past. But uh, what a run this year. And for those of us who are on the outside looking in, it was pretty cool to see the way, uh, you know, the fan base rallied around, obviously, especially getting past that wild card game and, you know, kind of following along with Nationals prospects on social media and all that. What was it like from the inside watching through that run, through game seven, just just take us through that from your perspective. Yeah, that was super cool to see. You know, I know I know how much those guys that were up there worked to, uh, you know, how hard they worked to get to that point, how, how much they sacrificed, not only individually, but as a collective unit as well. And, um, you know, to just see those guys have that success and, um, you know, 
not dog pile, but, you know, celebrate at the end. Uh, was really cool. Um, I think, you know, something that I kept thinking about throughout that process was, you know, as much as talent is a part of it, I think something that can be overlooked nowadays is just how important camaraderie within the clubhouse is. And I think that over the course of their run, it just became increasingly more evident how, how close of a group that those guys were. And ultimately, I think, in my opinion, at least that that, you know, was absolutely huge for them and allowed them to, you know, win the World Series and have a lot of success collectively and individually. And I don't think you can put put a price tag on that, to be honest with you. All right, Ben. Well, Tyler just asked about the the bigger picture with the Nationals. I'm gonna we're gonna end with a with a question more directed right at you. As Tyler mentioned before, you were an 18th round pick. You've gone through JUCO. You've gone through a big school. You've gone through basically every level of the minors from the GCL now to the PCL. Uh, now you are on a 40 man roster. Being an 18th round pick, guys taken there aren't usually expected to be major leaguers. You're one step away now. Do you allow yourself to look back at, at this road that's taken you to this spot? And if you do, what is the most memorable aspect of this run that you've had? Like I said, going from a junior college to now one step away from, from the show. Yeah, I think, um, I think I definitely look back on the, on my journey here sometimes. And I don't think that's a bad thing by any means. I think sometimes you need to do that or I need to do that to, you know, realize what I have gone through and the sacrifices that not, not only I've made, but my friends and family have made to help me get here. And uh, it's important for me to never forget those things. And that kind of has fueled me throughout this journey. And, you know, I feel like I've always kind of been overlooked, so to say, in my career. You know, having gone JUCO, that was my only option out of high school. And then being overlooked a little bit in JUCO throughout the recruiting process and, you know, ultimately, you know, very fortunate the Nationals saw enough in me to draft me in the 18th round. But still then, you know, like you said, guys drafted, really guys drafted past a certain point. You know, there's there's not much expectation there. So I think, you know, a big thing for me has been I've just really had a chip on my shoulder throughout the whole process that's fueled me to work hard and, you know, maximize the abilities that I do have and uh, to represent, you know, my family throughout that process and, you know, now the Nationals as well. And, um, you know, moving forward, that's going to stay the same. I'm going to still be fueled by the same things and, you know, keep my head up and my blinders on and just go to work and um, continue to emphasize controlling the things that I can control and maximizing, you know, my the abilities that God gave me and do so just, you know, as best as I can. That is some pretty cool stuff. Ben Bramer is a 15th-ranked prospect in the Washington Nationals organization and as of yesterday is a member of the 40-man roster in that system. And, uh, Ben, congrats on the news and all the success. And uh, enjoy the rest of the offseason and the holidays. And best of luck. We'll be following along next year. Absolutely. Thank you all for having me on. I really appreciate it. Happy Thanksgiving. Benjamin Hill joins the show. A little uh, Easter egg. If you go back to Three Strikes, you can hear when Ben walked in, and uh, you can point that out to us. Uh, time stamp it, and we will give you uh, nothing. I don't know. If I get that big I was going to say, don't make any promises here, Mon. If, if I get that big Japanese fried chicken money, maybe I'll mail you a Lawson's T-shirt or something. Hi, Ben. Hi, Tyler, and hello, Sam. Sitting to my left in conference room 5V, as in victory. Okay. I thought there was going to be something spicier than victory. I was like, all I can think of is victory. So, <laughs> Well, let's get started. Uh, the batting around column is up this week at MILB.com, and it concerns four new ballparks that will open in the 2020 season. Uh, the Cannonballers, the Trash Pandas, the Wind Surge, and the Fred Nats, the Fredericksburg Nationals, uh, all moving into new ballparks, new homes in 2020. Um, this is the most in a while for a single season, correct, Ben? The first since uh, 2009 in which we've had four or more ballparks? Yeah, you know, I maintain a uh, spreadsheet on ballpark openings, which I think was a result of a story 
you know, doing research for a story I did a year or two back. But now I just keep that spreadsheet because it's it's handy to to look back and see uh, you know what ballparks opened in what year and how many ballparks opened in different years. So four ballparks in 2020 is the most since 2009 when five ballparks opened, and you know six if you count uh, Charlotte Sports Park, you know which was a major league spring training facility, but that also served as a a minor league ballpark as well for the Charlotte Stone Crabs. So anyway, um, you know, we, we were saying goodbye to this decade, which, you know, what do we call this decade? The, the teens plus? I guess the teens, yeah, yeah. the 20 teens. Yeah, we're saying goodbye to this decade. And throughout that entire decade, 2010 to 2019, we never opened we, you know. Minor league baseball never opened uh, four ballparks in one season. You have to go back to 2009 to when they did more. So 2020 um, is a pretty banner year for new ballparks. And, you know, we've talked about all these teams uh, throughout the years and actually or throughout the offseason and, and going back to last season. And, uh, you know, I, I kind of wrote a version of this same article about a year ago. Um, but now I felt it was time to go back and update it now that we're only a few months out from opening day, you know, providing updates on the ballpark construction. And now – you know, just as of last week, we now have a team name associated with all these new ballparks because, you know, when the offseason started of these four new ballparks, uh, the only team name we knew prior to this offseason was that Rocket City, who are playing in the greater Huntsville uh, area in Madison, we knew they were the Trash Pandas. But it's been this offseason that we learned that Fredericksburg, you know, is going to be the Nationals, uh, the Fred Nats. We learned that Kannapolis is the Cannonballers, and we we learned that Wichita is the Wind Surge. So, uh, you know, a lot of these rebrandings have been, do have been done and conjunction with moving to a new ballpark and that's another good question i don't know the answer but uh you know i'll try to get it on twitter when i look it up but what was the last time a team moved into a new ballpark and didn't rebrand that's a good question too mm. good question uh good question by me and uh, I'll, I'll try to come up with the answer to that and uh also another interesting thing you know I, I, once i get you know go down these little rabbit holes i, I like these little bits of trivia it's also kind of interesting and it's been many years since this happened i think according to my notes since at least 2005 when a ballpark uh, at four different levels of play opened and mm. we have a triple a ballpark wichita pacific coast league we have a double a ballpark rocket city um southern league we have a Class A advanced ballpark, Fredericksburg, in the Carolina League, and we have a Class A ballpark, Kannapolis, in the South Atlantic League. So these four new ballparks are, uh, you know, spread out across four levels of play. And uh, why do these things? Why do such little factoids give me, if not joy, they give me a little? Uh, what's that chemical in your brain? Dopamine. Endorphins. Endorphin jolt. Or, no, no uh, dopamine is dopamine. Probably, that's yeah. it. Yeah, I get a little dopamine jolt from these kind of facts, and I hope if you're listening, you do too. I hope our dopamine levels have been raised together, and we're we're all surging right now. Endorphins come from working out, so I don't know how much hard work you put into these spreadsheets, but maybe there's a little of endorphins in there too. Yeah, probably not. I haven't been working out uh, very much. Uh, in fact, uh, you know, Same. November 11th, I had my last uh, fall league softball game, and I pulled my hamstring and during my first bat and ended the season on the bench due to injuries. So. That was November 11th, right? Um, that was November 11th. So that, you, that was 10 days ago. You're off the 10-day IL now. Are you I feeling, am. Are you feeling ready to come off the IL? I'm or? feeling ready, and I need some. I need an endorphin rush. So uh, I got I got to plan a workout and uh, show my body who's boss. <laughs> and um, you know, one thing to kind of focus on with, with these level of stories is uh, you know bringing baseball back to certain areas. Sometimes it's kind of shifting. Kannapolis, it's just going to another part of, of the area. Fredericksburg kind of another part of the area. Um, but Wichita is something completely new. How have you seen people kind of take on the new stadium? And with the wind surge being, you know, the logos we talked about, the new rebranding, but building a whole new stadium in that area, bringing baseball, minor league baseball to Kansas is going to be huge. What has been the kind of reaction to that stadium? Yeah, I mean, I think you know, with these four ballparks, as you said, Kannapolis, uh, you know, just moving to the new ballpark, but minor league baseball has been there for a long time. Uh, you know, Rocket City is in Huntsville, greater Huntsville area. And, and, you know, Huntsville had minor league baseball all the way up through 2014 with the stars. Uh, I'm not sure if Fredericksburg, Fredericksburg has had a team specifically, but that's only 30 miles away from their previous location of Woodbridge. And that general area is no stranger to minor league baseball. So Wichita here is the one where it's like, wow, this is uh, my, you know, minor league baseball will seem freshest and most exciting. You don't have to go back too far to find the last time Wichita had minor league baseball in 2007, but that's still, you know, 13 year absence. 
And um, yeah, it's a pretty long absence, especially, you know, think if you were a kid, think if you were born in 2007 or so, you know, you've lived your whole life until now without a minor league baseball team to go to. And it's, I think that sort of thing is very exciting. Um, and the fact that it's a new ballpark at baseball's highest level, you know, Wichita had been double A before and they've been playing in a ballpark, which I would have loved to have visited, uh, Lawrence Dumont ballpark, you know, built in 1934. I'm sure it had its charms. But uh, for Wichita to get a ballpark, the likes of which that city has never seen, a brand new AAA ballpark, I think is pretty exciting. They haven't had AAA uh, since the 80s, I believe, when they the defunct American Association, they had a team called the Arrows, uh, A-E-R-O-S, and that referenced uh, you know the aviation industry in, in Wichita. So I, I think that's going to be the most exciting market. It's it's someone asked me today, like, what stadium you know are you looking most forward to, to visiting? And I said Wichita because I've never been to Kansas in a professional context. And this gives me a reason to visit Kansas and gives me a reason to go to Wichita where I've never been. And going to new places is great. And uh, I love going to as many new places as possible. And I think most people do. So uh, I think that's going to be the most exciting. And to see how they bring the wind surge to life because, uh, you know, minor league baseball team names uh, have been weird for a while. But wind surge, you know, without that sort of animal or sort of uh, obvious anthropomorphic tie-in is uh, a little more uh, unclear how this brand is going to come to life. And that makes it more interesting to me. It's going to be intriguing. Um, The four ballparks that will open again in Wichita. uh, Rocket City, the Trash Pandas. I feel like the Trash Pandas have been around for a decade. They have literally yet to play a single game, which I find kind of funny. But also, uh, it it does feel like that. Right? Like, they've been around forever. They announced that team name a couple of years ago, and they have yet to actually – before then, you know, before this – they were barely even a front office because they were still running the operations uh, elsewhere and there was no ballpark and kind of like trying to establish the identity of a team that didn't yet exist. But if we feel like old friends with the Trash Pandas and they have yet to even play a game. Yeah, I think that ties into the fact that I think when they first got the ballpark effort going in Madison, Alabama, the original timeline was to have it open uh, for the 2019 season. So they got ahead on the branding, thinking they might debut in 2019. And then when it became clear that the ballpark would not be ready in 2019, they'd still gone far enough along on the branding that they said, just like, let's get it out here. So that was, you know, roughly a year ago, probably a little more that they debuted that name. And it is kind of funny. That name has been with us <laughs> for so long that we still have not yet to see the Trash Pandas actually play a game, even though it feels like they've been friends and confidants for quite some time. <laughs> We've gotten to know you so well over the last couple of years, Trash Pandas. Uh, so you can check out that story batting around at MILB.com right now. MILB.com slash Ben's Biz is where you can find all of Ben's stuff. Um, and it is nearly Thanksgiving, which is crazy. We are, uh, we're recording this a week exactly before Thanksgiving. Uh, next week, everybody's going to be off to places determined for uh, the Thanksgiving holiday. Ben, what are you thankful for in the biz these days? Well, you know, you know, Sam kind of brought up that topic to me earlier and I was like, yeah, I'll brainstorm. I'll think about, you know, something clever, try to think of, you know, some specific topic I'm thankful for. Uh, But then, you know, I thought, you know, hey, I'll keep it simple. You know, I am thankful. Well, I'm thankful for you guys. I think uh, leading this podcast every week is no small feat and uh, takes a lot of coordination, especially with you uh, traveling all over all over the place, Tyler. So I think uh, I'm thankful for Sam and Tyler for holding this thing together, cultivating an audience and uh, doing a bang up exemplary job with this podcast. And as an extension of that, because, you know, I'm part of it, but I'm kind of a I just you just tell me when to show up and then I talk for a little <laughs> bit, um, you know, so I don't You're wanna, a valued member of the podcast. Uh, yeah, I believe I am. And I won't argue that point. But, you know, let's face it. Uh, if we made a pie chart of uh, labor expenditures uh, related to this podcast, I would just have a little sliver in that pie chart. So, uh, you know, just want to sh- give a shout out to you. And if you're listening to this um, and you think, you know, uh, I really do appreciate those guys, you know, tell them. It's Tyler and Sam. You can reach out to them. They're on Twitter. They got emails. They're all over the place. And as an extension of that, you know, I am, I'm just – I am thankful just for the people who read my work. And I've said this before, but, you know, who I, I see a lot of the same people on Twitter every day um, in such a divisive online climate where people are always arguing that I feel like I've been able to carve out this little slice where people are just cool and respectful. And I see people, you know, especially on Twitter, um, who I know met through kind of following Milb and you guys and uh, and myself. And I know like, oh, that, what, that, I see that guy commenting and he has the same likes I have. And I know there's been a lot of at least like online friendships created, uh, you know, through this world that we're a part of. And I love sort of cultivating that. I hope some of those people meet in real life. I love meeting in real life the people who follow our stuff uh, through traveling. And I'm just thankful that 
we've got this little world we can share and that it's nationwide and that uh, we can draw in people from so many walks of life through so many different places all over the country. And I'm truly thankful for that. So thank you if you're listening to this. Uh, I mean it in all sincerity. Uh, no snark, no smarm. Thank you. I like that. We're thankful for you too, just so you know. Hey, cool. Thanks. <laughs> uh, give us a rundown. What else is going on? Another mention of the sweepstakes I was told to bring up. Oh, yeah. We got the Winbend stuffed sweepstakes. Thank you for that compulsory reference. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was just like, yeah, that, that thing. Well, yeah, well we the problem last is week. I wasn't in on recording last week, so I was like, wait, what sweepstakes? But then I remembered as I started to say it. So it's just, it's uh, we're pulling back the curtain on how my brain is still very jet lagged. <laughs> yeah, well, um, no problem. Yeah, let's talk about that very quickly. Um, <laughs> we're actually moving to a new office, um, us MILB.com folks and a lot of other folks. And in conjunction with that, I'm giving away a lot of the minor league swag that I had uh, in bags and stacked up and folded and in boxes around my desk. And uh, unfortunately, if you're listening to this, it's going to be too late to enter this week's contest, which is a great one. I'm really angry that you're giving this away and not giving it to me. Well, Sam, I hate to say it, but this it's the Fresno Grizzlies coming to Fresno, the coming to America theme night, Zamunda jersey, a fitted hat, and a Zamunda pin. Um, big time stuff. Um, and, and Sam, I hate to tell you, but all that stuff was just in a bag. I know it was. That's what I'm upset about. Literally right next to your desk, there is an empty cubicle between myself and Sam, and he was sitting near these 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 items that he desired that he could have really just taken at any time with no problem. Um, but he didn't know they were there. And now I'm giving away on, on Twitter. That's uh, win Ben Hill stuff. Part two, it's going to be a little too late for that one, but we got four more installments coming up. Check it out on Twitter. Um, the tweets come from the MILB site, MILB.com. And then all you have to do is retweet the tweet and uh, you're eligible to win and make sure you're following MILB and myself at Ben's biz. And uh, yeah, I've accumulated some good stuff and I felt a little guilty, you know, giving some of this stuff away because, uh, you know, team, you know, people would give it to me and, you know, when you get a gift, you don't want to re-gift it. But the bottom line is y- you can only wear so many hats literally and uh, have so many jerseys and, you know, we, we live in New York city and spaces at a premium and move into new office spaces at a premium. So let's give it away to people who love minor league baseball, i.e. you, the listener and those of your ilk. So win Ben stuff every week, four more installments, check it out on Twitter, follow at Milb, follow me at Ben's biz, win my stuff. I am happy to give it to you. And I will send a personalized note to everyone who wins. And I'm sure that will be suitable for framing, um, provided you are a very, very low standards for the things, <laughs> for the things that you frame. Thanks, Ben. Thank you, Tyler. Thank you, Sam. Good night from 5E, as in victory. It's 4 o'clock in the afternoon. It's basically dark here. Um, it's the off season. <laughs> it's, uh, yeah, I'm fully on board the let's get rid of daylight savings yeah. time. Yeah, can we just stop with this? Come on. Yeah, it was developed at a time when people needed to wake up early, and that's great. But our society yeah. and our economy has shifted to now. other jobs, and <laughs> when we all get out of work at five or six, and it's depressingly dark already, yeah, um, it do- it doesn't work for us anymore. It's not helping. Sorry. It's not We've outlived it. Yeah. Unbelievable. Um, We talked about this with Ben last segment. Uh, Thanksgiving coming up. We will not be doing a show next week. So, what are you thankful for in uh, in this world we inhabit? Yeah. Um, yeah, we won't be with you guys next week. So hopefully everybody has a great Thanksgiving wherever, uh, that holiday takes you and with whomever it takes you. But, uh, yeah, we just kind of wanted to end the show this week, just saying, you know, we're grateful not only for you guys, uh, as Ben mentioned, Ben hit on a lot of great points. I'm thankful for Ben every week doing this and bringing his perspective on minor league baseball to the table and keeping not only you guys informed, but us informed. Ben explains a lot of things to me that, uh, you know, the way my brain works, it wouldn't quite connect, but he does his job incredibly well. And I'm thankful for him. I'm thankful for Tyler. Uh, every week, the show wouldn't be the same without him. And um, if I ever had to edit this podcast, it would not be great. There would be no bumper music. It would just be me saying, okay, here's the next part. <laughs> and that would be it. Um, and and it would not be I, I, like nearly as fun that that's that goes unsaid but i'm going to say it anyways uh but on the broader scale you know i'm I'm just grateful for minor league baseball there's no other sport maybe hockey if you follow hockey there's the ahl the echl something like that and the nba has the g league and 
you know, other sports kind of make it work. The soccer has, you know, the B teams and, and stuff like that, but there really is no other sport in which you really get wrapped up in prospects and seeing guys grow and, and seeing them come up and seeing them come to your towns and to, to your cities. And, um, you know, not only growing with them as, as fans of the Detroit Tigers or the Miami Marlins or the Colorado Rockies or whatever, you are fans of the Canapolis Cannonballers or the, you know, Rocky Mountain Vibes or the Tacoma Rainiers. Um, it, it's international, but it's also local. Um, it brings out a fandom that I think is one of the best in sports. Uh, and that extends to us here, you know, at MILDB.com, as, as Ben mentioned, but also to the podcast and the way you guys have reached out. Um, you know, this is a special thing that we have going here in this sport. It, it's, it's really great to see. And, and every year I try to make a point of mentioning this, but you know, Thanksgiving coming up, I think it's a good time to say we are thankful for what we have uh, here in minor league baseball and for all of you out there listening and, and participating and being fans in, in whatever way that means. Could not agree more. Uh, I echo your thoughts. I'm very thankful for you as well. You're the only one who makes this show sound smart uh, on a, uh, a hosting basis. Obviously, Ben does the same as well, but uh, being the, the one who is tasked with the editing portion of it, I'm glad I'm not tasked with the smart portion of it because you do that infinitely better than I do. And uh, completely agree. Our, our minor league baseball family and uh, all of you who have tuned in from week to week and season to season uh, to hear us talk about things like this, uh, we are very privileged to work in uh, the line in which we do and uh, hopefully we'll get to do that for a long time to come. So uh, for Benjamin Hill and for Sam Dykstra, our big thanks to Ben Bramer as well, who you can find on Twitter at B underscore Bramer, by the way, in case you were so uh, inclined at the end of our interview to go find some more of Ben in your life if you're a Nats fan or otherwise. And uh, that'll do it for all those guys. My name is Tyler Mom. We'll talk to you in a couple of weeks. Happy Thanksgiving, everybody. 